This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of December 9, 2013, and I'm Michael Howie, welcoming you to episode 109 of Defender Radio. This week we're taking a look at an issue that's near and dear to our hearts, beavers. Margaret Atwood once said that Canada was built on dead beavers, and she couldn't have been more right. Since the time of first contact, circa the 15th century, beavers have been persecuted for their fur and out of fear of their ingenious engineering skills. They were so heavily hunted, in fact, that at one time the country was at risk of losing the entire population. Today, beavers are still cruelly trapped for their fur, but those in the fur industry are continuing to push the nuisance beaver concept on homeowners and municipalities, constantly seeking an excuse to trap and kill more of the families. However, more and more individuals, corporations, and bureaucracies are starting to take notice that the traditional lethal control of beavers isn't the right solution. Defender Radio News We recently heard that power lines in a B.C. municipality were being knocked down by trees felled by beavers. We expected to hear about a plan to kill off the family in the area. Instead, we received invitations to help. APFA spoke with the media about possible solutions, primarily wrapping trees with wire mesh, a cost-effective, long-term solution to protect specific trees from busy beavers. Within days, we heard from two municipalities whom we are now working with to assist in offering a coexistence solution. And we are always happy to offer advice or training to other groups or municipalities looking to learn how to coexist with beavers. You can find out more at FurBearDefenders.com. Defender Radio News Speaking of coexistence, an episode on beavers would be remiss without our own Adrian Nelson, APFA's in-house beaver expert and beaver coexistence program lead. Whenever beavers need a helping hand, Adrian is the one ready to step in and save the day, and literally save the families. I understand that what APFA does today with the beaver program is an evolution on the original concept. Could you tell us a bit about that, Adrian? Well, we'd always had what we called sort of our, our beaver pack, um, which kind of talked about the flow devices, talked about how they could be implemented, you know, the benefits of beavers and all of that. Um, and they went out to a lot of communities um, across Canada, probably, to sort of promote these uh, non-lethal alternatives. Um, and we didn't really see a big uptick in, in people wanting to, to implement these. So when Leslie and I started, uh, well, God, almost five years ago now, um, we thought, you know, it would be ideal for, for us to just go out and actually build one of these. Um, you know, if you told a municipality that you'd come in, you'd pay for it, you'd build it, you'd install it, you'd look after it, and if they didn't like it, then you'd take it out afterwards, it was really difficult for them to say no. Um, even though if you did, uh, it was, you know, it was harder for people to turn down and we were able to kind of get the ball rolling that way. How do the flow devices work? Well, we have basically two types of devices that we put in. We have what we call the pond leveler, um, which is basically a pipe system that goes through the dams. And we have uh, an exclusion fence, which is basically a, a fence system that prevents them from accessing, you know, culverts and bridges and things like that. Um, so with the pond leveler, basically what happens is you build sort of a cylindrical cage out of wire mesh. It's probably about four feet in diameter. 
and you build it up on land, you know, close to where you're going to be installing it in the dam. And you take a, a large PVC pipe, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 to 16 inches in diameter. And it's usually about 30 to 40 feet long. And that's inserted into the end of the cage. And you open up a small portion of the dam where you want the pipe to be at. And you float the whole pipe out into the middle of the lake. Um, the end of the pipe with the cage sits out near the middle of the lake or, you know, 30, 40 feet out from the dam. The other end of the pipe then gets dropped down into the dam, and then the other end gets submerged down into the bottom of the lake. So what ends up happening is wherever you set that pipe in the dam at is the, the level of the water is going to be maintained in the pond. And then you fill it back in with the sticks, and the beavers come back in, and they pack all the mud and sticks and everything else and build this pipe basically right into their dam. And that water just continues to flow through the pipe and out the back end of the dam. Um, the exclusion fences are done, you know, very similar. It's, it's a wire mesh fence. Uh, we basically build it. It's kind of like a, a box almost that's built up on the land, and you drag it out into the creek bed in front of the culvert, and you drop it into place, and you hammer in some metal stakes into the corners to kind of support it. And that's pretty much it. It's, you know, they're fairly straightforward, fairly inexpensive as far as materials and labor and uh, they're more than enough to, to thwart the efforts of a beaver. You train both volunteers and municipal staff in building flow devices. What's that process like? It's really rewarding, actually. Uh, and in some ways, it kind of baffles me sometimes because we get these volunteers out there and I'm thinking, oh, you know, at the end of this day, they're going to be covered in mud. They're going to be soaking wet, filthy and cold, and they're going to hate me for the rest of their lives. But for the most part, they really get a kick out of it. It's really fun to get out there for a day, get grubby, put something in place that you know is saving an animal's life, um, and, and to be able to come back to it, you know, six months or a year later and see it still working, I think, is, is quite rewarding for them. Um, so from our volunteers, you know, it's, it's a great experience. It's a lot of fun for them. Um, it's one of those real hands-on projects that they can get behind. For our municipalities, it's, it's a bit of a lifesaver. You know, we go in and train them on, and some of them have done them before, but learning some of the little tricks and, and techniques to do it a little bit better helps a lot with the success rate of these. And we find that they come back to us afterwards and say, oh, man, we saved so much time putting these things in. You know, we're making such headway with this. We're not in there pulling sticks out every day. You know, it's, it's just been so great for us. So it, it's a bit of a relief for them, I think, too. So it's, it's, it's interesting for both groups, I think. How does APFA pay for all of this work? We don't always take on the full cost of the project. Um, you know, we, we're completely run by donations, so we really hope that people will donate to, to support these types of projects. And when we're working with municipalities or homeowners, they often do cover the cost of materials and, and make small donations towards us. But it never always covers the whole cost, and we never want to have money be an issue for people when it comes to, to saving animals. So for us to be able to offer the financial assistance to put this in really takes that barrier away from people to say no to these projects because they can't afford them. So we don't ever want that to be an issue for people. So by, by us taking on that burden and paying for it, um, you know, it allows us to put more of these in. So that's why we really do rely on donations to, to build these projects for people. What are some of the ways for people to get involved with the Beaver Coexistence Program? The best way to get involved is to get in contact with us, you know, either through our website at furbeardefenders.com or through, the, through our Facebook page at Facebook slash furfree. Um, and, 
you know, get in touch with us. Let us know that you're interested in the beaver aspect and, and different ways that you want to get involved, whether it's helping with some of the fundraising or whether you want to get out there and get muddy and dirty. Um, and depending on where you're located, you know, we've got projects that are popping up all over the place. Uh, so we're always looking for volunteers that are willing to, to come out and give us a hand. To find out more about APFA's coexistence program or to donate and support our life-saving work, visit FurBearDefenders.com. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. Over 3 million animals are killed each year in Canada for their fur. This holiday season, why not give the gift of hope to Canada's wildlife by calling 604-435-1850 and giving a holiday gift today. The Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals works to protect wildlife in Canada. Call 604-435-1850 and please, give generously. Give a voice to the animals who can't speak for themselves by calling 604-435-1850. Bearsmart.com is the most comprehensive resource on the web for all things bear. At Bearsmart.com, we work hard to ensure people and bears safely and respectfully coexist. Join us as we give bears a voice at bearsmart.com. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America's song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, We're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing Keystone species. This is Defender Radio. Learning to love beavers is easy. But learning to understand the complex role they play in ecosystems isn't always as simple. Dr. Heidi Perryman is the champion behind MartinezBeavers.org, an outstanding resource for information on the biological, ecological, and yes, economical lives of beavers. Dr. Perryman joins Defender Radio to answer some commonly asked questions and dispel some common myths about beavers. Dr. Perryman, when we're talking about wildlife, we constantly hear the term keystone species. Could you explain what that is? What that means, it's a, it's a term from the 60s where um, a biologist did a research on what happened when he removed one species from a tide pool. And what he found was that taking out one species affected as many as eight species. And so actually this animal had a disproportionate effect on the biosystem going on there. And beavers are like that. They create habitats for all kinds of wildlife that would not be able to be there without them. And when they're removed, all that wildlife is also removed. Why are beavers considered a keystone species? Well, they fit in a very prominent role. Um, and they are an aquatic engineer to a wetlands. And the wetlands are supporting wildlife at an enormous rate. So beavers are affecting 
the um, invertebrate community that goes on in the water. So the, the dams trapping sediment and silt and organic material, and that gets broken down by all kinds of bugs, which get eaten by all kinds of fish. So we actually have a greater density and diversity of fish populations in beaver ponds. And also, everything that eats fish is happy to come to a beaver pond and enjoy. Uh, beaver chewing of trees even causes a natural coppicing, which is an old forestry term that refers to hard cutting back a tree so that it grows back bushy and more dense. And this actually creates ideal nesting habitat for migratory and songbirds, so that as the number of beavers grow up, we we have research that tells us that the number of songbirds also go up. So beavers are hugely impactful to the ecosystem. What happens if we remove beavers from an ecosystem? Great research that's coming out of Canada now from Glynis Hood that says that when beavers are consistently removed from a stream every time they build a dam, what, what happens to the trickle-down effect for the environment is that we don't see the second-generation and third-generation species um, here. And so we don't see the environmental benefit of beavers in the habitat because of that. So all the otters that would have come to the stream, all the salmon or trout that would have come to that stream, they're no longer able to be sustained in that habitat. I'm constantly told that we need to manage beaver populations. How would you respond to that? Well, we used to have millions more beavers. The estimates for North America are between 200 and 400, 20 and 40 million, sorry, million beavers in North America. And we're at about a tenth of what the population used to be. So in terms of keeping the population from exploding, as is often claimed, um, we, we're not anywhere near that in terms of beavers. What we also have is that beavers are territorial. So after they raise their children for two years, those children go off to seek their own habitat so that we don't end up with populations that are burgeoning with beavers. We end up with beavers going out and restoring other streams and broadening um, the the impact of having beavers in an area. My city in Martinez has had a population of beavers for seven years, and we have a population of seven, uh, because every time those kids are born, they, they get old, they learn what they need to do, and they go out and seek their own habitat. We're also told that we need to kill beavers to prevent disease or starvation. What we should do is we should know that when we are quickly killing beavers, um, it may be sparing them from some consequence that we can't understand, but we're also quickly killing a lot of other species. So um, the fallout from killing a pair of beavers in a stream is that you're also killing tons of fish, tons of birds, tons of mammals that depend on that stream. So if beavers are removed, with the excuse being to prevent disease or starvation, how are we able to remove the right beavers? What we know 
is that successful relocations of beavers involve relocating the entire family. So if you pull out some beavers and move them to a new place, you're pretty much condemning them to death. Uh, beavers rely on their family systems, and without them, they cannot um, survive. What we also know is that the first beavers that are generally trapped when a system is is set up to be trapped is, is, is the young ones, the adolescents, the yearlings. And the last beavers that are generally trapped are the matriarchs, the mothers who are the wisest and most protective. So when we do that to a colony, that's how we're impacting them. We're taking away the grown-ups and we're leaving the children to provide on their own. I guess that means, in theory, removing beavers could actually increase disease and starvation for the population. It absolutely could, and you have to remember that these habitats that are sustaining beavers, um, they're not going to change. So you pull out those beavers out of the habitat, you're going to get new ones. And in fact, you might even get a rebound of animals based on the available food in the area. From an ecological point of view, what's the best way to manage beavers that may be considered a nuisance? I, I, obviously, allowing the beavers to remain is going to be ecologically beneficial to other species. But let's not talk ecology. Let's just talk economics. What you're doing when you're allowing beavers to remain is you're allowing them to restore the creek, which is service that cities spend tens and millions of dollars on. And this way you have an engineer on site who's doing the work all the time for free. And this beaver is staying in the area and keeping away other beavers based on their own territorial behaviors. And that means that you're not paying for trapping or relocating the next year or the year after that. In the big picture, what happens when humans interfere with nature or wildlife populations? I, I think that what we end up doing is um, pretending to fix the problem and actually setting up a relationship where the taxpayers are paying for this solution over and over again. Um, I, I think that if we were honest about resolving this problem head-on, we'd be saving a lot of headache and a lot of finances as well. To find out more about Dr. Perryman and her work with beavers, visit martinasbeavers.org. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control. We'll humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit us at gateswildlifecontrol.com or call 416-750-9453. After a night out with your friends, there are always options for getting home safely. You could call your BFF, take a cab, or maybe you'll grab the last bus. Now there's a smartphone app to help you choose your ride. Find out more at arrivealive.org. 
Every year, dogs, cats, endangered species, and even people are caught in cruel leg hold, conibear, and other body gripping traps across Canada. Who will speak out for these innocent victims of an outdated industry? We will. I'm Leslie Fox, Executive Director of the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. With your support, we can bring an end to the needless and painful deaths of hundreds of thousands of animals. Become a member today at furbearerdefenders.com to find out how you can give hope for our fur-bearing friends. This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio News. One of the biggest challenges we face is not individual ignorance. It is systemic misinformation. The fur industry, with faces such as the Ontario Fur Managers Association, the BC Trappers Association, and the Fur Institute of Canada, uses half-truths and stereotypes to push forward their greedy agendas. They claim they want to assist municipalities in managing wildlife or preventing conflicts. But their only method is what they've always done, trapping and killing for fur. We routinely hear some of their comments, that without them, beaver populations would swell exponentially, putting all in harm's way. They of course say this with a presumption that no one ever took grade 9 biology and have no idea what carrying capacity or environmental sustainability is. They claim that our flow devices lower water so much that beavers store food will freeze. This is always amusing to us as we only install flow devices in the late spring or early summer, long before beavers begin to forage for winter. They even claim that they're conservationists protecting habitats and wetlands. They are killers, looking to make a buck, regardless of the ecological spin-off from trapping and the inherent pain, fear, and cruelty they inflict. We want to remind residents, bureaucrats, and politicians who they're talking to when approached by trappers. It's like big oil companies offering to help people get their driver's licenses. It doesn't take much to see beneath the veneer of these lobby groups to the ugly greed below. To learn more about the truth behind the fur trade, visit FurBearerDefenders.com. Defender Radio News Mike Callahan is the owner of Beaver Solutions, a Massachusetts-based company that specializes in helping municipalities, homeowners, and even state governments coexist with beavers. In the years he has operated Beaver Solutions, Mike has installed over 1,000 flow devices with an astonishing success rate. Mike joins us now to talk about Beaver Solutions and how easy coexistence can be. Mike, can you give us some background as to how you got started with Beaver Solutions? Well, I first got involved with Beavers back in 1998. Um, Prior to that, Um, I worked for about 20 years in the medical field as a physician assistant. I didn't have any background, formal training at all in uh, beavers. What started me um, involved with beavers is in 1996, uh, Massachusetts voters passed a referendum that restricted trapping. And beavers became a very hot political subject that was in the news all the time. And my wife and I, who were supportive of uh, 
you know, living with wildlife, uh, we're just observing the polarization in the media, uh, pitting homeowners who are getting flooded against the people who were concerned about animal welfare, and it just seemed to us there must be some middle ground where um, it's not all or nothing, one way or the other. So uh, we uh, learned a little bit at a, uh, a workshop that was uh, sponsored by the Humane Society of the United States and the Massachusetts Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and learned uh, some non-lethal techniques uh, as far as managing beaver problems. Uh, there was a gentleman up in Maine working for the Penobscot Indians named Skip Lyle who invented a uh, trapezoidal shaped fence to protect road culverts and uh, he called that a beaver deceiver and uh, so we learned that. Um, we also had the good fortune of um, spending a week with a gentleman up in Ottawa by the name of Michelle Leclerc, and he taught us uh, what he had been doing, and he had installed about 100 flow devices over 10 years up in uh, Gatineau Park. So we just started uh, our own volunteer group uh, locally, and we had dozens of different people that helped us from time to time, and we just kind of learned as we went. And um, people who were having problems or pounds would uh, contact us, and they'd pay for the materials, and we'd provide the labor and do the installations. And uh, and much to our pleasant surprise, most of them were working. And at that time, we were, you know, modifying the design, seeing what worked, what didn't work, and uh, we did about seventy-five flow device installations over a year and a half with our volunteer group and I really liked it and what was really rewarding to me was uh, taking a problem and kind of finding that balance where people were protected of their interests but the animal, the beaver was allowed to stay and that, what really hooked me about that was uh, learning about beavers and their huge impact on the environment, um, you know, how important they are for biodiversity and recharging water tables and uh, preventing erosion, and there's a myriad of uh, benefits if we can keep them on the landscape. So finding that balance to me really, uh, really got me uh, juiced and uh, excited to do this. So I decided that uh, I'd try it as a part-time business because I could see the benefits of using flow devices and I could see that our volunteer group, while effective locally, probably wasn't going to be a model that would be able to be replicated across the U.S. and Canada. And I wanted to see if it could be uh, done as a uh, commercial enterprise where maybe this could become a small business for people, you know, across our, you know, North America. So that's how it started. I was fortunate working at, as a physician assistant that I was able to um, wean my hours down a little as uh, the beaver work got more uh, busy, busier and busier. And um, so now I've been doing it um, full time for years now and haven't even done uh, any physician assistant work in over five years. So that's all. And 
to date, I've uh, installed over a thousand um, successful flow devices. I don't want to give the wrong impression that they're the right answer for every situation because there are many situations where us humans have uh, unfortunately built houses or roads or something in floodplains and there's just no ability to tolerate any uh, ponding and um, and when that's the case unfortunately there are uh, areas where the beavers just uh, can't be because we you know messed it up by building things where we probably shouldn't have um, so but in my experience three out of four calls I get I I can uh, recommend the long-term solution with the uh, flow devices, and uh, that's going to be the most cost-effective as well as, uh, you know, the best option. But uh, there are times when I will say, well, you know, this is a situation where what I have to offer just isn't going to be a good option, and you are going to need to trap the beavers. What kind of attitudes and responses do you get when you present coexistent solutions? That's a good question because the the priorities of who's calling often vary, and uh, but that's one of the things that's been great about um, being able to uh, offer flow devices is that almost no matter what the person's priority is, that the flow device generally will address that. You know, some people's priorities. I do a lot of work for highway departments because road culverts are very common damming sites for beers because they know with a little bit of work they plug up the pipe under the road, the whole roadbed becomes a dam. So I'd say about 60% of what I do is for highway departments, and they're mostly concerned about road safety. They want the road high and dry and, and not to have any infrastructure issues. And the flow devices are generally a better option because they work 24-7 around all year long. If you trap the beavers, people never really know when new ones are back until it's too late. So, uh, you know, the flow devices will work for years and years, whereas trapping, we typically have to go back every six months to a year or two because the habitat's still there and new beavers are attracted to it. You know, other people may have issues with they just want water out of their, off their lawn or away from their septic system or well. And then, you know, the, the pipes in the beaver dam are often a good option to uh, control the water level, keep a pond, but keep it at a size where people's properties are protected. You know, if it's uh, someone whose priority is the animal's welfare, or the environmental uh, impacts of having beavers on the landscape, you know, obviously being able to keep them with the flow devices versus trapping and getting rid of them are the best option for them too. So generally, it's been, it's usually a fairly easy sell. How do people respond once you've installed a flow device for them? Almost always very positive. I mean, the flow devices that I install have anywhere from a 95 to 98% success rate. So, um, and that's with, you know, the beavers still there. We often come across homeowners or municipalities who, when hearing of a potential problem with beavers, jump straight to trapping as their response. What kind of advice would you offer these people? Well, they definitely should do some research. Um, For example... I would refer them in 
in just a few minutes, they can uh, learn a lot by listening to some testimonials that are on the Beaver Solutions website. A bunch of uh, you know highway superintendents and town officials and other people have uh, you know volunteered and spoke and were recorded about their experience with flow devices, and it's pretty compelling. You know, they'll talk about how much money and time and aggravation they saved and uh, the benefits of the. Uh, the beaver ponds, and, but uh, you know, if people look into it and do the research, they'll realize that the traditional method of trapping should be a uh, last resort rather than the first option, because it really, you lose the when when you get rid of the beavers, you lose all the benefits that they bring to the health of the environment, and ultimately, it's going to be a shorter term solution and cost more money in almost all circumstances. This is a simple technology. Can it work in other wildlife situations? I just got back from Washington State and we did um, we put a couple flow devices in that were modified to uh, facilitate adult salmon passage. And I just returned from there because the coho salmon were running and they're working beautifully. Beavers are a keystone species, as you know, um, which means they affect so many other species in a positive way. Well, salmon are too. So um, if we can use these flow devices modified to help the adult salmon get back to their spawning grounds with one relatively inexpensive intervention, we're actually helping two keystone species and the the rewards are going to be off the charts. So... I'm pretty excited about that. To learn more about Mike Callahan and Beaver Solutions, visit online at www.beaversolutions.com. That's all we have time for this week. I'd like to thank all of our guests, as well as Brad Gates of Gates AAA Wildlife Control, for his ongoing support of APA and Defender Radio. To find out more about beavers and how you can help us save lives and keep families together, visit FurBearDefenders.com. On behalf of APFA and Defender Radio, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.